And I said, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know what it was, but I was, we were sitting there waiting next to the jet skis. He said something big and slimy bumped up against me. I don't know what it was, but I wasn't hanging out to find out. So <laughs> it was like a cartoon, man. I'm surprised this guy didn't just run across the water all the way to the shoreline. It was hilarious. <laughs> Episode 27, Travis Parsons, Jet Skis. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is not just your host, Kirtlandville, this time. We also have Travis Parsons here. Um, on some of the earlier shows, we explained that from time to time, we're going to interview each other, and that's so that you can get to know us, the hosts, a little bit better. And besides, it's a lot of fun to have us both on the same show. So, Travis, welcome to the program. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Travis grew up back east, primarily in Connecticut. He was born overseas. He... Uh, Grew up with a dad that was in the Navy, so there was a fair amount of travel early in life. But in Connecticut, he got involved in a lot of different adventure sports as a young man. Um, we talked about motorcycles and, and how he got his start there. On the last show that Travis was interviewed, if you have an interest in that, you can find it in uh, previous episodes. But today, we want to talk about another adventure sport that Travis really enjoyed, and that was jet skiing. So Travis, tell us a little bit about your jet ski background. So back when I lived on the East Coast, back in Connecticut, uh, we had some jet skis and wave runners, and we would take those out to the Long Island Sound and uh, and ride them out there all day long. And I think you can probably tell that anything that has a throttle and an engine and wheels, or in this case, a hull, uh, is you know is something I'm all about trying out. So. We used to ride these things and have a blast out in the sound, uh, just motoring around, hitting some of the swells, and it was just a, a awesome way to spend a summer afternoon. Very cool. Why would you encourage people to try out? All right, you know, let, let's expand this a little bit. I'm not going to just say jet ski. I'm not going to say wet bike. I'm not going to say ski doo or wave runner. I'm going to say watercraft, <laughs> powered watercraft. Why would you? Uh, why would you encourage people to to try out the watercraft sports? Well, I think I think it's a good point. Any watercraft is awesome to be out there. Like I said, you're out in a hot summer day. There's no better way to go out and experience the the water and be able to cool off and and just have fun out there on the on the surface of a of a lake or in this case the ocean. Um, I think uh, getting into any kind of watercraft sport is is great for people because they just like motorcycling or a lot of other adventure sports or hobbies. It's just a great way to relax. You can spend the day out there in the sun and the water and enjoy time with your friends and family and just experience a, a whole new aspect um, of riding around on some sort of machinery, uh, whether it be wave runners or jet skis or in a boat or even water skiing behind a boat. Explain the different kinds of jet skis and wet bikes and, and wave runners and things that are out there in case people aren't familiar. 
Yeah, so it's funny, you know, back in the day when when the first personal watercraft were were invented and started coming out into the public eye, um, the jet ski was always considered to be the the stand up uh, watercraft, where you actually stand up and the handlebar raises up to your level when you're riding it. Uh, you can also ride those uh, kneeling down on your knees as well. But they also had introduced what they called the wet bike. And I don't remember which company introduced it, but it was more of a motorcycle for water. Uh, you actually had a seat and handlebars, but instead of a front wheel, you had a more of a kind of a tunneled skid that would uh, hydroplane up on top of the water and you rode the thing that way. And that didn't last uh, very long. People really took to the the actual jet ski where you stood up or kneeled down on it. Both of these were propelled by a a water, you know, basically in an inducted jet driven off of a motor, you know, an engine inside the the hull, and it would pressurize water and push it out the back, uh, creating the propulsion. Well, the one that really ended up taking off out of the few personal watercraft that were available was the actual Wave Runner, and this is the one that we see today. It's the most common thing out there. It's the one where you sit down. You can have two, even three people on the things sometimes, um, and they're they're larger and have bigger engines in them. I've seen them up to 1,800 cc's for the, the wave runners. And these are the ones that have really taken off. They're powerful enough to tow a skier behind. Uh, a lot of people you'll see towing um, tubers behind them or a knee border or wake border behind them. So those are the ones that have come out and really, really taken over uh, the market by storm. The jet ski and the wet bike kind of went the way of the three-wheeler back in the 80s when they used to have the three-wheeler out before the four-wheelers really became prominent. Uh, the Wave Runner has done the same thing. So if you go down to a store or go down to rent something, uh, you're probably going to end up seeing the what we would call the Wave Runner as the option to get compare for us so i'm hearing you say okay i've got this wave runner and i can tow people behind it people can ski behind it people can uh, be on a tube behind it you can sit on it and have fun um contrast that with just a ski boat why would people want to have one of these uh wave runners instead of the standard boat that we were accustomed to seeing well for starters they can be quite uh quite a bit less expensive than an actual ski boat for sure uh, cheaper to maintain, cheaper to insure. They're not as powerful, of course, but they're they're much more compact way of uh, having the same fun for similar sports. You can put a couple of these on a trailer. You know, if you have a have two or three, you can have trailers that will tow a few around for various family members. They're a lot easier to store, of course, and they're just an absolute blast. Um, where you can just run around at speed with a you know a ski boat. You can take a wave runner and actually uh, do some more stunting, so to speak, uh, jumps over waves with them, and just really make it your own personal ride instead of just being a passenger. You become a part of the machine, similar to other ride-on devices, motorcycles, ATVs, and the like. You know, I think it's funny, too. You think... If everyone gets in the ski boat and they go out, well, obviously that's a lot of fun. But if you have two or three wave runners, then everybody's in control. Everyone's driving at once, and you get to the the situations where you can race a little bit, or one person does some sort of a stunt, and someone else says, "Oh, I got to try that," or 
I, I can see how it gets people more involved instead of just sitting in the boat. Yeah, exactly. You end up playing follow the leader or one person decides they want to go check out the cool little cove over there and everybody else follows him over there to check it out. And they're, they're making their waves in there and experimenting and exploring different, different places. So it's, everybody likes to be their, the own pilot of their own device. So these allow you to do that. It's cool. All right. Well, tell us a story about an amazing experience that you had uh, that kind of got you hooked on these things. So back when I lived in Connecticut, I had never been on a jet ski wave runner, anything like that. Um, we always rode our motorcycles and whatnot. So my buddy's uh, cousin says, hey, you know, I have these. Uh, he actually had a wave runner and a jet ski at the time. He said, if you guys want to borrow them, you know, go ahead and take them out. So, of course, we jumped at the chance and hauled them down to the Long Island Sound and dropped them in and went tooling around. And it was a it was a really nice day. Um but there were decent swells out there. And I would say these swells were good, a good eight feet probably. And having a motorcycle background, I would look at an eight foot jump, you know, and consider hitting it on my motorcycle or a, or an ATV. But one thing you have to consider is how the landing is going to be, because you're going to hit dirt, you know, and it's going to be a pretty rough landing. Well, that was the mindset that I had going into hitting some of these swells and I was watching my buddy hit him and I thought, okay, he's doing it. So I'll go ahead and hit him. So, you know, you gas it up and you ramp it up and you hit this big eight foot swell and you launch into the air. And your first thought is, oh man, this is going to hurt. It's going to be punishing when I, when I come down. Um, but the coolest thing about, uh, these machines is when you're in water and you land from that high up, you think it's going to hurt, but it's almost like somebody reaches out with a hand and just gently guides you down into the, into the water for your landing and you can take off and hit the next one. So it was, uh, it was really the most surprising part about it is, is you can launch with that much air yet come down and not slam down. You just gently, you know, land into the plush water and hit the next one and then hit the next one. It's a blast. It's completely tiring. It'll wipe you out. Uh, but it's an absolute blast. I, I hope anybody that gets a chance to to ride one goes out and, and takes that opportunity. Go rent them if you can. They're awesome. What happens if you fall off the thing? I mean, you're way out in the middle of some big bay somewhere, and all of a sudden, you're not on it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, even from the early days of the the original personal watercraft, they did two things. Um, They designed them so that, one, when you come off of it, you're tethered to a cord. It's a kill cord. Uh, So you have that clipped onto your you know, personal flotation device. And if you come off of the thing, it pulls the cord out of the the handlebar, which cuts the power to the motor. So that stops the, the machine. And then the second thing it does is it's designed to turn automatically. So when you fall off and let go of the handlebars, it will turn, I believe it's to the right, if I remember right, the handlebars will turn to the right and the machine actually circles back around to get you. And typically, you know, unless you're really hauling across the water uh, and the thing gets way away from you before it starts to make its turn, uh, typically it generally comes right back to you, almost like a boomerang. So you're just sitting there waiting and floating in the water and your wave runner circles around and you climb on board, you plug your cord back in, fire it up and you're off and, and running again. So it's actually a, it's a really cool design. Uh, they did it from the get go, and it was a it was a smart way to design these things. Oh, that's good. You know, I saw once um, I was out at the lake, 
and there were a couple of jet skiers out there, and someone came off their jet ski, but I don't think they had the cord set up right. The throttle locked on the jet ski and was just going across the lake with nobody on it. Oh, no. And luckily, yeah, luckily there's a, a second jet skier there, and he was good enough that he caught the thing and kicked it. And when he kicked it, the throttle came unjammed and it started circling. Wow. <laughs> but I thought, oh, man. So that must be where the pull cords came in to make sure that that can't happen. Yeah, it could be. You know, my experience, they've always been on them. But, you know, as we know, when they they come out with some of these technologies, these cool little toys, not every bit of thought was put into them in the beginning. I sometimes question the the idea of the three-wheeler. You, know, you look back and... We had a blast. I used to own a three-wheeler, and I had a blast on it, but there were so many times I either ran over myself or flipped the thing on top of me because the front ends were so light, and you got these big balloon tires and no suspension to speak of. And we look back, and today the, the four-wheeler with a lot of suspension is prominent. That's that's what we buy as an ATV. And, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020. You look back on the three-wheeler, and you think, what in the heck were they thinking by designing that crazy <laughs> contraption, you know? So I don't know if they, if the, from day one, if the uh, wave runners and jet skis had this pull cord and this uh, this safety mechanism of turning the thing into a, in a circle for you, um, but they came on pretty quickly. So they might have learned from a few experiences like the one you just talked about. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, you brought up the three-wheeler, I got to say. I uh, I rode motorcycles a lot and got on a three-wheeler or two that someone might have, and they'd always say, don't put your feet down, <laughs> because they didn't have, you know what I'm saying, they didn't have, oh, the running boards that you have on the four-wheelers now that keep you out from under those tires. They just had foot pegs like a motorcycle, and you could put your feet down, and you know exactly where this is going. You haven't lived until you've had a three-wheeler try to crawl up the back of your legs. Right. Right. I mean, it's it, it's smashing your groin at the same time it's taking the skin off your calves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that was riding, man. That was the real stuff back then. <laughs> like you said, what were they thinking? Yeah, and the three-wheelers were so prone to tip like that. You know, where you get on the four-wheeler, oh, yeah. it's nice and stable. But the three-wheelers, they would always do that. You'd really have to lean in to get a keep a three-wheeler with all three wheels planted on the ground going around a corner. You know, until you learn that, your first instinct is just to go ahead, throw your leg down as if you're on a two-wheeler. And sure enough, you run right up the backside of your calf and people get sucked under the wheel. It's quite comical. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I wouldn't call it comical. <laughs> Maybe fun to watch. I don't know about fun to experience. My uh, perspective is in hindsight. Just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Kindness Diaries, the new book by Leon Logothetis, the global adventurer motivational speaker and philanthropist, is now available. The Kindness Diaries chronicles Leon's travel around the globe fueled only on the kindness of others. Visit www.leonlogothetis.com to learn more about Leon's adventures and look for The Kindness Diaries anywhere books are sold. Neil Bailey, motojournalist, world traveler, and star of Neil Bailey Rides, founded Wellspring International Outreach in 2008 to help the abandoned children in Peru and throughout the world. Follow Neil's two-wheeled adventure travels at www.neilbaileyrides.com and his altruistic adventures at www.wellspring-outreach.org. Wellspring International Outreach is a 501c3 charity that needs your help to continue its work. Please consider a donation. 
Hi, this is Kelly Coker with Fella Adventures, and you're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Well, hey, tell us a story about a time that things didn't go right with these wave runners. Um, what did you learn? How did you manage? What are some of the pitfalls with these things? Yeah. So I think one of the reasons why the actual wave runner uh, came to fruition and became the the popular choice of watercraft is because the... Now, again, remember the wave runner is the one where you sit down on and you can have a, a passenger or two on it. Um, it's a very, It's a much more stable machine. Well, I think they came to fruition because the jet skis were actually pretty difficult to ride. Uh, the easiest way to ride them was on your knees, um, just kneeling down and your feet kind of trailing behind you a little bit. But if you wanted to do any neat stunts, you needed to learn how to ride it standing up. And, you know, a, a jet ski, the original jet skis were really only probably um, maybe 24 inches wide you know, something like that. So the, your sense of balance is, is not so good. It's, it's a very unstable device until you really get a feel for it. My bad experience with one of the jet skis was breaking a rib and which sounds really weird. If you're in water, you're thinking, how do you break a rib? And I didn't hit it on the actual machine, but what had happened is I went to explore a cove um, out into some lily pads and not thinking too much about it was actually a fairly shallow cove which wasn't a big deal for the jet ski because their draft is is only a few inches. Um, so it wasn't too shallow for the machine. But what had happened is I, I tore into that cove and took a sharp turn, and I just lost my balance. And the problem was I when I turned, I fell into kind of into my own wake. So the jet ski had carved out the water, making the, the water shallower, if you will, because I had already, I fell into my actual wake. And so the ground or the mud was that much closer. And I fell into that mud and caught my rib down on the mud itself um, and busted a rib that way. And it really surprised me. It took me off guard because other than smacking your face on the actual, you know, the material or the metal or the plastic of the jet ski, you wouldn't think you could get hurt too much. But but I did. Down in shallow water, I busted a rib falling off of one of these things, and that laid me up for a little while for riding jet skis. Uh, but yeah, you think you got to be careful with them uh, for that. You know, a lot of people, of course, you know, you hear accidents where people, because there's all these little wave runners, jet skis running around each other, you know, they end up running into each other, running in the, the path of a boat. A lot of people will you know, follow boats and jump their, their wake and whatnot, which is fine. But if you're not aware of your surroundings, you can end up, you know, bashing into each other. Uh, but what I had learned is careful running around in shallow water, especially on one of the stand-up jet skis, because their balance is so little. And and I learned my lesson by breaking a rib and doing it. Ugh, that doesn't sound fun. I think it is fairly common. I went to a place where they rented these things out, and they were probably... I'm going to say five of these. Um, these were, you know, the the wave runners, but they would rent out about five at a time, and they'd say, "Okay, don't go beyond that buoy or beyond that point. Stay in this general area." And so everyone's out there trying to have fun. Well, first of all, people are renting these things. That doesn't mean they have experience. That means they're trying it, right? Right. And second of all, we're in a kind of an, a limited area, and there are five of them. 
everyone's going in circles and seeing how it feels to go fast or slow or turn or what have you. And uh, I had a blast, first of all. It was a lot of fun with my motorcycle background and also because I'd just been in water for my whole life. It it just felt really natural. So one of my favorite things to do was to get it up to, to top speed and then cut the throttle. But while I was still going top speed, turn the handlebars as far as they would go and then hit the throttle. And what would happen is it would put it into a tailspin and then it would stand up on end and point up at the sky. But what that also meant is that I was going from top speed to almost a direct stop immediately. And uh, if someone was behind me, I mean, think about that for a minute. And sure enough, I didn't get hit, but one of the gals did slam into somebody and wrecked the the wave runner and had to pay for repairs. Oh, no. You know, those things could happen because it can be chaos when you get a whole lot of these in, in one area. So I guess it makes sense if you're uh, if you have multiple machines out there that everyone's well instructed on how to watch out for each other and stay out of each other's way. Yeah, and that, that rings true for a lot of these sports. You know, like we've, like we've talked before, I do a lot of dirt bike riding, and some of the areas that I'm out riding out in the National Forest, there are rental outfits out there renting ATVs and side-by-sides to people. And I think that's great. I, I recommend anybody doing that to get the experience. Um, but one of the scariest things I come across is somebody that's just tearing down the trail and it's their first time on an ATV or in a side-by-side and they don't really know the the trail etiquette. Uh, and, you know, you come across them in a corner and they're just tearing through there and they don't give you the sign, you know, whether they're the only one or or give you a sign that there's two or three behind them, that type of stuff. So it is a little nerve-wracking when the rental folks get out there because they're not used to it. It's not what they do, you know, on a daily basis as a hobby. Uh, But it's the same thing with the wave runners. Um, You just have to, you have to be open to good instruction and and keep a level head about it. Or you might, you might get into certain binds that that you don't want to be in. So what about one of these in good size surf? Have you ever had one out there where the waves are, are breaking tall and, and making curls and that sort of thing? Yeah, not so much uh, curls like surf type waves. Um, I've ridden them in the ocean, out in the open ocean, um, at least a Long Island Sound, but not up near a beach where there were breaking waves like that. Uh, but just goes back to, to what I said about hitting those eight foot swells, you know, the experience of being able to launch off of off a swell like that and just catch so much air. And come down into a, a cushion of cotton, it feels like, and keep going. It's a it's an absolute blast. I think something that would make me a little nervous in the ocean, and uh, people that are more familiar with salt water would probably laugh at me a little bit, but you have a, a machine that can take you way out there. And what happens if you have a mechanical failure? I mean, how do you get back? Well, ideally, you're out there with somebody else. Um, So when we were riding, we were always at least two of us out there riding together. So if something happened, uh, I would hate to leave a machine out there in the ocean because obviously it's a it's a major hazard for other vessels out there. You know, using that that same ocean. Um, But if you had to leave it, of course, you'd hop on your buddies and go back and and uh, go look for a tow. Or ideally, you'd have something on you to be able to tow it back in. Um, but yeah, you're right. If you're out there by yourself, um, you know, I guess it goes with, a being out there with a powerboat too. You, you could have incidents and something you need to be prepared for. You know, maybe you have a waterproof radio system where you can call shore and, 
you know, get a, get CTO to come out and give you a ride back, bring your, bring your machine back, something like that. But, you know, with any sport, it's, you have to be prepared for the, the consequences and how you'll handle them before you even go out. Who would sell nearly everything they own, then pack up and travel for three years around the world alone on a motorcycle? Alan Carl did. Pick up his new book, Forks, A Quest for Culture, Cuisine, and Connection. An adventure that will awaken your senses and inspire your spirit. Explore 35 countries on five continents with stories of connection and culture. More than 700 stunning photos, flavors, and food. Visit ForksTheBook.com and use promo code 180TACK to get $9 off through April 15th, 2015. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Will you help us spread the word about the show? First, tell your friends to give us a listen. You can also help us out by taking a minute and going into iTunes to subscribe, then rate and leave us a review. Thanks for being a part of our show. You know, this is only a vaguely related story, but I'm going to tell it. It's a time that things didn't go right story. Um, Saltwater, and I'll just confess to everybody, I didn't grow up on the coast, but I took a trip when I was 16 down to Florida to go scuba diving. And my buddy and I were on the, uh, the Florida Keys, on a small little key, small island, and the current was coming in, and we didn't see it, you know. Uh, It just looked like water to us, but we decided that we would just do a short dive right off this key. So we were standing on a seawall that was, oh, six feet, eight feet above the water. And so we just jumped off the seawall with our scuba gear on so that we could go on a dive. Well, the first thing that happens, of course, is I lose a flipper when I jump off. And so with my fin gone, I only had one fin. And then I noticed that I was moving along this seawall very quickly Um, what we didn't realize is that there was not just a current coming in, but a very strong current coming in. The seawall's racing by, and of course, the first thing I do is I try to grab a hold of the slick concrete, and there's nothing. And I'm reaching up and realizing, oh, that's six feet higher than I can reach. And within, you know, about three minutes, we had washed under the bridge around this key, and the current was so strong that it was actually making a, a wake behind the bridge pylon. We were flying. And I saw ahead of me the Gulf of Mexico, just open water as far as the eye could see. <laughs> and there's no end in sight. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, it's one of the scariest um, few minutes of my life. I thought, man, I have read stories of people that get stuck out in the Gulf of Mexico for days and weeks. And <laughs> oh, But luckily, the guy that I was diving with was uh, more experienced, and he was accustomed to currents and that sort of thing. And he, he said the obvious, which was, hey, swim around to the leeward side of the island quick. And so with my one fin, I, I I kicked hard and we managed to get to the back side of the island. And sure enough, there was no current. It was a nice, gentle place where we could finish our dive. Of course, I had to go recover the, the missing fin. But 
that scared me a lot. And so ever since then, I've thought, man, I just, I hate the idea of getting stuck out somewhere, stranded in a body of water that, uh, you know, the, the oceans were limits to human travel for, for thousands of years. They couldn't be crossed, and we could actually get stuck out in something that big and that vast. Makes me a little nervous. Yeah, and water can be scary, especially, you know, in the sense of oceans where, like you said, they are vast. They're, you just have this sense of, I am this tiny little grain of sand in this massive volume of water, and it really can be spooky. An unrelated story that I have is uh, two years ago, I took my family up to Yellowstone National Park to see the geysers and whatnot. Um, and one of the things we found out about is that we could go swimming in this river downstream from one of the geysers. And the neat thing about it is the water was warm. It wasn't hot. By the time you got into it and the distance from the geyser, uh, where you got into it, it had cooled off, but it was warm. But one of the neat things you could do is swim off these rocks and then jump from a few of them. And it wasn't a very far jump. It was, I don't know, maybe 15 feet at the most. So I took my son back there, my at the time, nine-year-old son, back there, and we jumped off into the, the river. And there were just a couple people back there. He had to build up the courage to jump off of this 15-foot wall. So he finally did, and he got in there with me, and we started floating down this river, which wasn't necessarily a rapid, but it was moving pretty quickly. Well, we came around the rock uh, back to where everybody else was standing, and the current was moving pretty quickly, and I could see that he was a little scared, and I needed to help him a little bit. So I basically kind of pulled him onto my chest as I was floating on my back, and just to make sure I could push him over to the rock and get him safely to shore. But as I did that, and I'm I'm a pretty avid swimmer. Water doesn't generally scare me. But as I did that, I pushed him over to the rock, but it pushed me under the water. And it was kind of one of those situations where I was trying to get my head back up, uh, while pushing him to get my gasp of air and I wasn't really able to get it. And it really scared the heck out of me because here I am, you know, taking a chance with my son, trying to do what I can to get him safely somewhere, but I'm risking not being able to take a, a decent breath of air and getting, you know, water down my lungs. And I did finally get him over to the rock and I was able to, to finally scramble and get myself back up to the surface surface. But, uh, Man, it's really scared the heck out of me. Water water needs to be respected, no doubt. Yeah. And currents, whether it's a river or or the ocean, currents can be surprisingly strong. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you we've had some people on talking about whitewater rafting and, and talking about how a river can can do different things depending on the flow. And sometimes you can have a low flow where it exposes a lot of obstacles, but but the river itself isn't moving as fast as it could be. So you have more obstacles to deal with. Uh, on the other hand, you could have a, a really full river where you're floating over the obstacles in a raft, but you're hauling down the river. Uh, the other, other risk there with a fast moving river like that, and you have obstacles under the surfaces that the river is actually hiding the obstacles. So if you're tubing or something and you don't see that there's a, a set of rocks that can pinch your leg, underneath the surface. Um, you know, that's all stuff that you have to consider while doing these sports in water. You have to, you have to be educated and, and put some thought into what you're doing, not just jump in and go have fun. Yeah. I think that's one of the scariest thoughts ever is, is being in water and getting pinned somehow. I have a scuba diving buddy that was spearfishing with a spear gun and he went down below a dock and he shot a grouper and 
What he didn't expect was that the grouper swam around him and actually tied him to the to the pier, tied him to the you know the pylon for the dock, and he was he was stuck. I mean, he was really tied in tight, and uh, he started worrying about running out of air because <laughs> there he is tied to the bottom of the ocean. And uh, he managed to untangle himself and get back up. But he used that story as a reason to tell me, never, ever, ever dive without a knife. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know? <laughs> Just the freakiest stuff. I mean, who would think that a fish would tie you to a dock under the water? But weird things do happen. So, hey, be prepared, people. Know something about your sport and uh, some emergency procedures so that you can get yourself out of a bind if necessary. Well, speaking of binds, you must have a funny story for us. <laughs> I do. You know, it's funny. We're talking about being out in oceans and how it can be scary. And I admittedly am a bit of a wimp when it comes to salt water, even though I generally grew up on the, the East Coast in Connecticut and always had access to the oceans. I was never real fond of salt water. Um, you know, the whole idea of sharks and, of course, jellyfish were always prevalent, you know, on the beaches and whatnot. Um, I was never really comfortable in oceans. And so one day we were out on the, the jet skis and the wave runner. We were out in the middle of Long Island Sound where we would always ride. We decided to take a break. So we hopped off the watercraft and just kind of waited in the water next to him, hanging on to him. So we're taking a break, relaxing. And then something spooked my buddy that, uh, that made him scramble on top of his jet ski, fired up and take off. He didn't say anything to me. He just yelled out, jumped on his jet ski, fired up and headed a beeline <laughs> to the shore. And I'm thinking, well, what in the hell are you doing? And I, you know, so I wasn't going to wait around to find out what spooked him. So I jumped on mine and, and fired up and, you know, all the way to the shore. It was probably a 20 minute ride. He'd never let up. He just pinned it and went straight for the shore, got to the dock and finally shut it off. And I said, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know what it was, but as we were sitting there waiting next to the jet skis, he said something big and slimy bumped up against me. I don't know what it was, but I wasn't hanging out to find out. So <laughs> it was like a cartoon, man. I'm surprised this guy didn't just run across the water all the way to the shoreline. It was hilarious. <laughs> Well, you know what? It's those sorts of experiences that make the best stories and the best life experiences. And, you know, we talked about this the last time we um, did a show together. But it's worth bringing out that you can sit at your desk or you can sit around your living room and watch TV, watch movies and that sort of stuff. And the bottom line is those are the forgotten years. Those are the ones that, that don't really stick with you. And I think that's – you look back and th that's the small time. That's Yeah, it's living life small but when you go out and you try stuff, you have some adventures and something unexpected like this happens, well, you remember that for the rest of your life. Those memories really are treasures. And when you look back on a life filled with amazing memories and funny stories and adventures like that, then you've got a treasure. You know, it's a chest full of things. And you can say, well, there, I expanded my life. My life was well lived. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to be the grandpa that has stories for his grandkids. I don't want to be the person who's lying on their deathbed uh, thinking, what did I do with my life? Boy, I sure am glad I watched those extra episodes of whatever that TV show it was that consumed my life on my couch. I want to be the guy that has the fun stories. And it saddens me to, to see that more people don't take advantage of living life to the fullest like that. It doesn't mean you have to take risks 
you know, there are so many cool things you can do that are safe, but really, uh, really create those fond memories. Oh yeah, you bet. And that's one of the reasons why we started the adventure sports podcast. A lot of kids even are, are not out having fun and having adventures instead, you know, we all get sucked into the easy entertainment, the couch potato stuff. And we really just want to encourage people get outside, (laughs) move, do something you're interested in. And it can be a variety of things. It can be as extreme as jumping out of airplanes or base jumping, but it could also be something as mild as, as going fishing, you know, or riding a bicycle. It just get out and make some memories. It's, it's so critical for a life well lived for your health, for your mental health. And for those memories that you can gather over the years, it just really matters. Yeah, absolutely. Like we say, get out there and have some fun. So we'd like to take a little bit of time to talk about some new developments with the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, Some of you listeners may have noted that we've done a couple of weekend mini editions. Those are shorter podcasts that you get on the weekend, some bonus material. And what we try to do with those is dive into some specific tips and tricks that can help with various adventure sports. And so we're going to be doing those from time to time. That's kind of new. If you haven't heard one yet, you might want to download one of the weekend mini editions. They're kind of fun. And also, one purpose of the weekend mini editions is so we can speak more directly to you, the listeners, and uh, find different ways to get feedback and get you involved. Um, We are planning on building a membership site so people can uh, meet each other and get involved as a adventure sports podcast community. And one baby step in that direction that may really be useful and convenient for the listener is we have a new way that listeners can call in and leave messages or stories. So Travis, tell us about this. Yeah, so this is, I think this is a really neat idea, and I'm hoping a lot of people will take advantage of it. You guys sit out there and you listen to our stories or the stories of our guests that we have on. But if you're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, you're probably into adventure sports. And I'll bet that you, the listener, have awesome stories. So one of the things we want you to do is take a few minutes, go onto our website, adventuresportspodcast.com, look on the left sidebar, there's a green telephone button, and it says, tell us your story. And on that button, there's our toll-free number, and that leads to a voice messaging system. Now, don't worry. No humans are going to answer your phone call. You don't have to talk to anybody. But what we want you to do is leave us your most awesome adventure story. Don't forget to leave your name and some contact information, whether it be a phone number or email, because what we'd love to be able to do, with your permission, is continue with this weekend mini-series and put out our listener stories over the weekends from time to time, and we'll compile a few stories per episode, and that gives you a chance to be the podcaster. It gives you a chance to be the guest, and we want you to tell the most incredible story about your adventure, whatever it may be. Just remember, it's a clean podcast, so any swear words will have to be bleeped out anyway, so don't don't bother, but take some time and do that. I think everybody will benefit from hearing your story as well. So we're hoping that really takes off. You know, that's a lot of fun. And it's a way that the guests can be on the air. And it's always fun to hear yourself on the air and find out what it's like to uh, be on a podcast. And, you know, maybe get a sample of it that way. You might want to be on the show. You can do that, too. If you contact us and let us know, then we can 
talk about what specific adventure sports uh, you support and enjoy. And maybe we could do a full-length podcast with you. But think about when you're with a group of friends and you get on a topic of a sport that everyone's involved with and people start laughing and they start sharing, oh man, you remember the time when, or wow, this happened to me once. And then someone asks a question, well, what do you do with blah, blah, blah? Well, that's the kind of stuff that is so organic and wonderful and fun to listen to. And so leave us those stories. Please start with your name and what the sport is so we have context, but then dive in and tell us a fantastic story. Right. And one thing to remember is it is a 10-minute limit, so hopefully you can get your story in in 10 minutes. And another idea for a recording would be if you conference called your buddy in, if you guys wanted to tell a story together, just like a couple of podcast hosts, uh, conference call in and call that number. And take time, you know, telling the story between the two of you. I think it would be a a fantastic uh, addition to the podcast, and we would love to hear them. Absolutely. So, hey, listeners, we're talking to you. Get involved. We'd like to meet you. We want to hear from you. Um, Contact us. Leave these stories. As the community builds up, I know that it's, uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun for everyone. So, Travis, anything else? No, I think we about covered it. It was a fun little episode, and from time to time, we'll dig into a little bit of our experiences in adventure sports. Hopefully, you guys enjoy them. Well, this has been another Adventure Sports Podcast, and I don't know about you, but I enjoyed it. And until the next show, get out there and have some fun. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us. 